Welcome everyone to the Every Other Thursday podcast, where in each episode we bring you suggestions for improving the guest dining experience and our industry roundtable, where we tackle the industry issues of the moment. Every Other Thursday is an approximately 30-minute presentation featuring our industry experts who are never shy about offering up their thoughts and ideas. Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. Tabletop Journal, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places in the world of hospitality tabletop. Now, here's your host of Every Other Thursday, Dave Turner. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Every Other Thursday. And by the way, for those of you who are counting, this is episode number 16 of Every Other Thursday. And since we do it every other week, we've been doing this for 32 weeks, gentlemen. I'm Dave, and I'm your host here every other Thursday. And this week, we're on a bit of a delay because scheduling issues without always very busy and always on the move host. But as always, we're right back here, and I'm here with my guest host, my colleagues, Jay Alley and Greg Kirish. Gentlemen, good morning. How are you doing today? Good morning. Good. Good morning. You guys are back from the many travels and wherever you've been and around, and everybody's got their schedule down today, so we're able to get together. That's great. I'm going to visit the other four corners of my yard. <laughs> the other four corners of your yard? Yeah. Are you, oh, so you now you're outside. You're not quarantined inside anymore. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're, tra- we're traveling by uh, by Greyhound bus to the <laughs> Alley Estate Four Corners. <laughs> there you go. I love that. I love that. Now, are they all in the same county, all the four corners? They're all in the same 100 by 150 lot. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they're all, the all right. Well, here on every other Thursday, everybody knows we give you our thoughts and opinions on the major topics of the day, all in the world of food service and hospitality. And we throw in a little spice once in a while just to make it good. This week, gentlemen, I want to keep on this idea of the reopenings. We've talked about them before that they were coming. Well, now they're finally here and not only here in the U.S., but all around the world, frankly. And I want to get your thoughts on how do you think that's going so far? And of course, the last 10 to 14 days, we've had the protests in the various cities around the U.S. And I want to talk about the impact that they may have had, both immediate impact, obviously, but also any long-term impact you think they are. And then later today, Greg, before we started with the COVID-19 conversations, you were doing some great small ideas, those tabletop items that you'd be giving us that really were small and easy to implement, but they really had big impact to the guest experience. And I want to I want to review some of those that you had. So maybe uh, operators can be thinking about that. And certainly supply chain people can be thinking about presenting them to operators because now maybe more than ever, that guest experience really, truly matters. So those small ideas really had uh, were the idea that they had big impact. I think they'll be really important now. But before we get into it, as always, we need to do some general business. And by now, everybody knows that every other Thursday is our 30 minutes or so podcast where we take on the world of hospitality and food service, giving you our expert thoughts and opinions. Never shy about that. And this week's episode of every other Thursday, like All the episodes of Every Other Thursday is brought to you by Tabletop Journal. Tabletop Journal is where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places in the world of hospitality. So, gentlemen, with all that, let's get started. The openings have started. How are things going so far, do you guys think? It's really, I think, mixed and by locale. My example is uh, I was in uh, Missouri a week and a half ago, just before the protest started, and going from Chicago, where I've been basically, not basically, I've been here nonstop 11 weeks. Lockdown tight. Lockdown tight. And going to Missouri, it was like 
truly going to another country. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that it was incredibly open compared to Chicago. And restaurants were open. There was spacing. And the, and the serve staff, wait staff, had uh, masks, etc. cetera. But it, it, and it felt good. And I was talking to the staff, and they all said that, thing, that business was good. Things were just, were just hopping. Things were starting to come around like that in Chicago. But now the, the protests started, took, took place. And I think that's put a damper on things. And so it's, and who knows where things are going because everybody's predicting a spike now in infections. So it, it had momentum. I think that things look better, but I think it's stalled, in my opinion. In Jay, in Yorktown, in the metropolis of York, Pennsylvania, and the surrounding areas, how do you see that things are going? Uh, I know uh, York is a home of a lot of chain restaurants. How are they doing? They're they're still pretty much closed. uh, Private restaurants, like a lot of our breakfast places, which I think the highest volume restaurant in town is a place called Round the Clock Diner, have two locations. And they basically kind of defied the government and opened up about four weeks ago and have been, you can't get near it. So it's really busy. Now they're being careful. They're doing all the right stuff. They're cleaning, they're keeping the place clean. They're, people are waiting outside. Somebody come out, somebody come in. But boy, I'm going to tell you what. Now our place, the paddock, they've got 20, 25 tables out in the front parking lot, which is kind of, it's okay, I guess, but it's not It's not great like you say because it's you know, Market Street traffic going up and down. I haven't been there. We're going to go this weekend and see what it's like. I think the private guys, I think that they'll experience more success maybe quicker than the chains. I'm not, not even sure why, but the chains seem to be locked up tight. And they, I don't think that the chains did a very good job of the takeout stuff. I mean, I think a few of them did. I think Clone Star Steakhouse did a good job. you have any of the Darden concepts near you? Yeah, we got a country kitchen place. Cheddar's? Cheddar's, yep. They haven't been open. and they, I don't believe they've been even open for takeout. You know, we talked about that a little bit in one of the previous episodes about how the flexibility and the agility of independent operators may give them actually some benefit through all this. The one thing I have noticed is that the, a lot of the generic motels that give you the free breakfast and all of that stuff, all, all of those parking lots are starting to get busy again. We got a brand new Holiday Inn Express, maybe a mile and a half from the house, and there was nobody there up to about three weeks ago. And now there's, there's cars there all the time. Interesting. So I don't know, people are starting to travel. It's work. I, I don't know who's going there, but, you know, they're starting to get busy. I mean, the pizza places and all that, those are the, I think those are the places in town that were the busiest. No, no question about that. I think that independent versus chain restaurant phenomena, I think, I think those things are interesting to watch. The bureaucracies of certain chains and the, the protocols, I just don't, once they start down a road, I don't know how they get off, if something's working or not working, how they, how they adjust it. The independents, I really think that it's as simple as they see things that work in the morning, they stay with it. If they see something not working in the morning, they change it by the afternoon and you go forward. And it's about survivability uh, and trying to get revenue in to at least cover some of your costs. I don't think anybody's going to be profitable if you're if you're in that 20% of your seating indoor and you're trying to figure out outdoor dining. If you didn't have an outdoor dining game plan prior to COVID-19, I think it's hard to all of a sudden just automatically have one. 
I think it brings up all kinds of different logistic issues. In some cases, we talk about in Portland, Maine, you got to go get a temporary outside dining permit. Maybe you do it in a lot of, I'm sure you do it in a lot of other areas as well. I don't know what the bureaucracies of that are like, but it, it gets, it's not as simple as throwing some chairs out there and uh, feeding people. Exactly. And the other thing too is, I mean, I don't know, you don't want to be a skeptic, but so much of this baloney, I would use the other words, but it's not polite. I think the sanest thing that I've ever heard since this whole thing started is, is keep your hands clean and don't go coughing in people's faces and all that. I, I get all of that. But the other, yesterday we played golf with a group of seniors that can barely walk. So it's really good that virus wanted to get anybody. Our group should all be dead because they can't move very quickly. So if you sneeze, you're going to get splattered. But I'm, I'm making a joke on that. But but. We, we went up to the window. I remember when we first started talking about it. I just had a sort of a mental picture of you sneezing and somebody getting splattered. That's all. No, I'm just saying they're so slow they couldn't get out of the way. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. So I, we go to the golf course. And, you know, when, when this first started, I thought, well, you know, what they'll do is people will just take credit cards and, you know, it'll be all right. So I, I have a daughter that's in the medical, in the business, right? So she's a frontline warrior. And, and it's like nobody really understands what you really have to do to be antiseptic and safe. If you really want to, prevent it. You don't want to catch any germs. I mean, it's like, so we go to the window at the golf course and there's a big sign that says no cash. So the guy behind the window, first of all, he doesn't have a mask on and it's only credit cards. So then all of a sudden it struck me. <laughs> People today handle their credit cards probably more than they do their cash. Yeah. And some places will let you put the credit card in a machine like Wendy's and all those places. Smart. They get the thing on a cord, they put it out, you stick your card in, they punch in a number, you're done. The, the person behind the window never touches it. At this golf course, that wasn't the case. We're sliding the card under, he takes the card, runs it through, hands it back to you. End of story. If he's sick, you're sick. Done. So that's just a small example. But, I mean, think about what you'd have to do. I mean, it's ridiculous. You wash your hands in the bathroom and you come out, and one guy or one gal or whoever didn't wash their hands when they left, and so you're grabbing that door handle or you're, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it, if you really start thinking about it, it make it crazy. I think doing more is better than doing nothing, but I think, I agree with Greg. I think some of this stuff has been so overblown to scare the hell out of everybody. It's why some places, when you get out into the rural areas where you get probably the heartland of America, it sounds like there, they're a hell of a lot saner and they're not being absolutely scared to death by all the political points of view and all the crap that goes into it. So I, I don't know. I don't know. It's a little depressing. You know? Well, it makes you, it makes you think about all the touch, literally and figuratively the touch points, like when the credit card machines, you put your credit card in, take your credit card out of many of them, then you have to push the green button to accept. So you push that button. How many thousands of people have huh. touched that green button? Yeah, let's go to the ATM machine. There's a safe spot. <laughs> it's usually in an enclosed cubicle. You got to go in to get your money. <laughs> yeah, at some point, multiple times a day, I get the feeling that just a little bit of common sense here would keep us all as safe as we probably can be. Yeah, I got the mask thing, and I and there you see people with gloves and all this stuff. And listen, I really think that. Most people have a certain level of immunity. And again, if you are in that sort of encumbered situation where you may have some some health issues already, underlying health issues, no, that's a little different to me. That's very different. That's when it gets real serious. And I see that. But to be honest with you, I, I remember, and I don't know how many weeks ago it was, all these people on the beaches in Florida, all these people uh, you know, on boats and bikinis and everything else and partying up. I don't know that we've had major spikes in those areas yet. Yeah, we were talking about the ones down in Lake of the Ozarks, right? That was crazy. That's where they were sitting. Well, I think it's Lake of the Ozarks. They're not the only place that, that you saw a lot going on. And then think about this, all this, I don't want to segue yet 
quiet into these protests. But think about all these people in these protests. Well, they're, they're saying wait for 14 days. Yeah, but you'd see some of it before, wouldn't you? I don't know. I don't know. And here's the, here's where I'm going with all this. Since the protest started, I haven't heard as much, it seems like to me, conversation about the coronavirus at all. Well, if somebody put a committee together, they're going to go start to talk to people because they feel that the coronavirus has been uh, racistly discriminated against. It was top of the heap a couple of weeks ago. Now it's done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My daughter works on a rehab. She's a speech pathologist and she does dysphagia. So for her to help you, she's in your face and in your throat. I mean, it's you can't get any scarier than that. When they leave the floor, they go to a special room or two that was designated for the staff of this rehab center. They can shower there. They can take their clothes off and put on a clean change of clothes. So they can take their clothes home in a bag and then take the clothes and throw it in a washer. I mean, she goes through steps that are way over the top. I mean, you can wipe your hand. I mean, when's the last time you came in the house, Greg, and took and Dave took all your clothes off through the washer right away? So if you were out in public and you're brushing up against stuff and your clothes, you know, it's almost an impossibility to be completely safe. So like you just said, Dave, common sense is the, is the best weapon we have. And probably washing your hands and not going out if you're not feeling well are the two things that you can do the most to, to keep people safe. But boy, I'll tell you what, to think that, and I think we've be, become a victim of all this. We've been scared to death for God's sakes. I mean, it's just not to diminish the severity of it. And people who have lost their lives, it's one, like the president says, one life for any reason is too much if it could have been prevented. I think too that the public's attention has been, been diverted the last two weeks. But I also think people are I don't want to say letting down their guard a little bit, but the restaurateurs and retailers, I want to say that too, because retail in general, brick and mortar retail has really suffered. They're shaped in the restaurants. Well, they were in tough shape to begin with. And then you have the COVID and then you have the protest. But I think that more attention is being paid to that. And I think where I'm going with this is the restaurateurs are still being driven by a moving target and protocols and i our northern headquarters is in maine and that that state still as of yesterday had not really locked down on where they what the quarantine issues are what restaurants could open yes some can open in some counties and not in others even in maryland where we're headquartered we still have a lot of diverse stuff. so it's hard to hard for restaurateurs let alone retailers hard for restaurateurs to keep up with all the rules and regulations i think it's not even possible. There's no way. And you know what? That stuff one day, what, two or three episodes ago, you read off some of the stuff that they were going to be required to do. Who's going to police that? Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> have guests in the restaurant going, he didn't wipe, he didn't wipe his hands, arrest him. Stop it. You know, we've talked about it before here. I think the optics make a difference. There's a restaurant near me that was building out an outdoor patio, didn't have an outdoor patio, it was all indoor dining. Now they have an outdoor patio. They had you know, a construction crew in there building a big patio. Yep. And, and so I think the optics are important for this, for that. And I think there's some basic things. Yes, six feet away, everybody's got that. Yes, mask, everybody's got that. Yes, outdoor is better than indoor, got that. But I, I think beyond that, I think... People want to get back to living the normal life and employees want to be safe. So they want to be, they're a little nervous, but again, I think common sense and people still, they want to feel like they're safe, but they also want to get on with their life. That's just a general thought. Yep. I agree with you. hundred percent. Okay. We want to take a break right now. And when I come back, I want to talk about the protests all around the country and what you guys think the impact will be both short and long-term. And then I want to talk about, 
where restaurants go from here. And I've got some thoughts on some of the keys that I think will drive it. And I bet you guys do too, that people need to think about it as they uh, look forward to being successful down the road. So we'll be right back every other Thursday, Greg, Dave, and Jay. See you in a minute. This episode of Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than eight years, Tabletop Journal has been raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. Using the hashtag TabletopMatters, Tabletop Journal has connected the kindred spirits of the hospitality world all around the globe. TabletopJournal.com, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places all in the world of hospitality tabletop. Now, back to our podcast. Hey, everybody, we're back here every other Thursday with Greg, Jay, and I'm Dave, your host. We're talking about COVID-19. What else? We've been talking in the first segment about how it's going, the reopening process, particularly here in the U.S., and it seems like it's hard to keep up with all the rules and everything, but mostly uh, what people are looking for is some common sense approaches. So now I want to talk a little bit about the last 14 days and some of the protests that have erupted in certain parts of the country. And number one, do we think they're going to continue? But more importantly, what's the short-term impact? And eventually, is there some long-term impact on all that as well? So Greg, you and I have talked off air about Chicago a lot. Uh, What do you think about Chicago now? Is, Is anybody... What's the impact anyway? Let's leave it at that. Things are still happening, so it's hard to judge long-term impact, but you, I guess common sense would tell you that it's it's negative. It's got to have a, a negative impact. First of all, just places are, uh, many places are destroyed or damaged. And we're not just talking restaurants, we're talking other types of businesses that support restaurants. And then there's going to be issues about whether suppliers want to supply to those neighborhoods. So there's a lot of that. And we're not just talking marginal neighborhoods. We're talking metro centers, places that have traditionally never been touched by something like like this, or isn't as not as much. So it's it's definitely going to have a negative negative impact. And then you know from that's from this kind of the supply side, which are the restaurateurs, the operators. But then from the guest side, a lot of people are hesitant to go to go out or can't go out. And then with protests going on, literally as we speak. Just common sense will tell you, no matter where you are on the spectrum of, about your ideas about them, is that it's going to have it's going to have a negative negative effect. Now, how how big of an effect? I'm not sure. Is it the protests themselves, the the peaceful protests themselves, is that keeping people away, or is it really the looting and the destruction and the vandalism and everything else that's going on? Well, I think both, because in a lot of people's minds, they morph together, and many of the protests. The fact is, those have morphed into destruction. So, uh, and again, I'm not making a political statement. I'm not saying good, bad. I'm just saying this is the way it is. Jay, uh, anything, uh, you getting, uh, getting a, a bad vibe in your part of the world about the protests and what they might be doing? Even Because it's, you know, people might say, well, geez, Jay's in uh, Southeast Pennsylvania in a, in a relatively small town, New York, Pennsylvania. But we saw what happened in Charleston, uh, South Carolina, too. And there was a devastating looting and vandalism night the other night where people walked into one restaurant and uh, threw off flash bombs and, and everything else and chased diners out there a group of 20 or 30 protesters all of a sudden become uh, looters and vandalism people and so it's not just new york chicago san francisco and all that smaller cities like charleston 
maybe York, Pennsylvania is experiencing that too. I don't know. I mean, you got to remember too, York, PA and Hanover, Pennsylvania. If you go back into the history books, I'm not really that well versed on it because I never really knew about it. Years ago, these areas were a hotbed of uh, different opinions about race and all of this inequality. I mean, but anyway, we're still a small town. So is Hanover and all that. I, I, downtown, we had a little bit. There was just a couple little violent instances that took place. But by and large, it was mostly peaceful and we're lucky. I didn't hear of any restaurants downtown getting looted or destroyed like we've been watching in the big cities. But the problem you got is, is you got people that are protesting for a completely legitimate reason. What happened to this man in Minneapolis, it just, just, there's just no excuse for it. it. It's just awful. But the other side of it, these people that are looting, these guys have got nothing to do with peaceful protests. They got nothing to do with this man losing his life and people standing up to try to bring about social change in, in, in that whole law enforcement situation, et cetera. Anybody who thinks that, that they're, they're one and the same or they're all out there, you know, there have been so many people who bring tears to your eyes. They come on TV saying, you know, there was a, uh, an African American lady just, she couldn't control herself. She said, what are you doing? You know, you're in this, you're in my neighborhood, you're destroying my business. I, she was a socially active person in the community. I mean, so, you know, it, we got we got some big time issues. How it's going to affect the restaurant business, people start throwing flashbang stuff into restaurants. Uh, I think that's going to have a massive effect. And, you know, the problem is, is everybody talks around the issue, but most of the people today that are really solid thinkers are saying, you cannot sit back and say, yeah, blow off a little steam, destroy our city. I mean, now in Minneapolis, they're going to they're disband the police force. I mean, yeah, let's all go move up there. So how do all of these people in these part of the world that are going to be affected? By, what, what's going to happen to property values? Who's going to protect you when you know someone's stealing your house? I saw somebody on TV today who said, well, before you call 911, here's what you should think about. I got somebody coming through my front door, banging and breaking my windows. Yeah, I think I'll think about maybe, I, should we call or not? <laughs> What, what should we do? I don't know if any of you guys saw that. but So, I, you know, I mean, it depends how it goes. I mean, if they don't get their arms around, I mean, New York, you might not have to worry about. There won't be any restaurants to go to if this keeps up. It's awful. And uh, so I don't know. I mean, I I think being lucky to be, you know, like maybe where Greg lives, where you live, we're all out in the suburbs. I mean, York's a small place, so it's a little bit different. And, you know, it's a real big-time family community. It's, it's uh, Pennsylvania Dutch and all of that stuff, but. But I can tell you, my guess is, too, is if it, out here, like in middle America, you get too crazy. The American population can defend themselves. And, and boy, I'll tell you what, you want to be very careful. Greg, in, in Chicago, the, the Gene and Giorgetti's was featured in a Wall Street Journal article the other day. And Jay just mentioned about the 911 and you know trying to defend and all that. And according to this article, the manager of uh, the owner of Gene and Giorgetti's called 911, a restaurant's manager called 911, I guess, and as it was being ransacked, and 911 operators said they were too inundated with calls to respond. So there's going to be some damage in the areas where the protests have become looting and vandalism. And as long as that damage is there, uh, to me anyway, I think it's, and as long as it might, the, the possibility that if I were to go to one of those restaurants, no matter how wide open coronavirus and all that allows me to be, as long as there's a possibility that that might happen, I'm probably going to steer clear of restaurants, of those types of restaurants or that area of a town or a city. Sure. I mean, I mean, the fact is, I, I, I'm old enough to remember the 68 riots in this area where the buildings were burned out, the businesses, the restaurants were burned out. And here we are 50 some years later, those neighborhoods have never recovered. They just never have. Yeah. And I fear that 
that this is going to happen to a lot of a lot of neighborhoods again. That you know, it, it, sure the downtown. Well, I don't even know if I'm sure about the downtown areas. Are people going to want to congregate downtown? You know, there was this big urbanization move where people were moving back to the cities, corporations moving to the cities. You were creating ecosystems around businesses with restaurants and dry cleaners and other businesses. And now, because you get this double whammy, you got the COVID nineteen issue where now people are saying, companies are saying. Do we need to have people coming down to this skyscraper? Do we even need this skyscraper? And then people are questioning, and rightly so, you know, social unrest. Where's the operator to go? I wish I, I you know, I wish I had some some answers. I think what we can do, we can do here, and as we are doing, is run down the list of issues to try to bring clear, to bring a little clarity and, and perspective from different parts of the country, but. It's going to be, you know, there's no doubt about it. It's going to be a rough, rough road to hoe. However, okay, so now I'm not being Pollyanna. On the other side, there's always opportunity. Nature pours a vacuum. So people got to eat. People want to want to go out. So there's going to be there's there's going to be opportunities now. I think it's it's up to the restaurateurs and us to try to identify what those opportunities are and how to bring you know guests satisfaction. That's, uh, I wanted to take on this subject of what certainly restaurants are going to survive. And you can find whatever figure you want to find, I guess, from in the low single, low to mid single digits to high double digits of restaurants that people are projecting will close permanently. But there's going to be a lot of restaurants that survive this. And I want to uh, kick around some things uh, that we think that restaurants will need to do to survive and to thrive eventually. What do you think an operator has to do? And, and, and eventually I want to get into what suppliers to those operators do too. But what do you both think that restaurateurs have to do immediately in the near term to survive and eventually to longer term, medium term to thrive? Well, it goes back to fundamentals and what we've been calling the, the, the little things. You know, what you, you need to do is you need to communicate and communicate effectively. And that doesn't mean massive ad campaigns. That means a good banner across your restaurant, a good sign, not just something whipped up and printed off on a, uh, you know, and, and taped on your window. Something good, easels. Street easel. Exactly. Whatever. To communicate, yes, I'm open. This is how you can take advantage of what we're offering. We have takeout. This is the hours. I mean, make it make it easy. Update your website if you have one. Put out put out flyers. I mean, just let people know that you are in business and what you're what you're offering. And I find a lot of places aren't doing that. And I understand. There's a lot of paralysis. There's a lot of, quite frankly, depression going on in the industry where people are just not just not doing things, but it's just, you don't have to, do, these can be the little things that are going to make big differences. Yeah, I think for me and, and Jay, I, I, I'd like to get some of your thoughts here too. But for me, I, I think we've just got to get, we've got to get people back into restaurants, get the, the flow started again. And I've always said it, I, I think number one, restaurateurs and, and even supply chain people are, are some of the most resilient people out there are in the hospitality and food service business. And secondly, the most creative people 
So they'll figure it out. The good ones anyway will figure it out. And frankly, the ones who don't have enough self-awareness to put a sidewalk easel out there, they're probably part of that. Whatever percentage you want to say is going to go away permanently. And probably they should. I mean, what you're talking about, about the thing happening where they threw those concussion things or smoke things, or whatever they were inside the restaurant. If you're in a downtown part of this world anywhere in a major city, instead of some cute little sweetheart greeting you at the uh, as you come through the door of the fine dining restaurant to sit down in Capitol Grill, which they have, you might see some very, very burly people standing out on a sidewalk saying, do you have a reservation? Let me see your ID before you can come in. If that stuff starts to get violent inside restaurants or around restaurants, I think you're going to see some interesting measures have to be put in place. Otherwise, people, you could do whatever you want. If people don't feel safe walking through your door, they're not going to come through it. That's scary as heck to think about that. Then, um, well, then, and then you segue into all the things that we've talked to about, which which seem perhaps at this point uh, frivolous. But you know, we we've started this whole thing months and months ago, talking about how to improve your tabletop and why you should improve your tabletop. But these are all the things that you have to think through. That the operator needs to think through now instead of just knee jerk reaction. Because li- again, little things make big big differences. And now, if you're sitting outdoors you're going to be making decisions for tabletop items that are different than if it's indoors. You know, you have to carry this stuff out. You got to bring it back in. There's wind, there's insects, there's, you know, all these things that about eating eating outdoors. So these all they need to be taken into consideration. And many of the things that we've talked about in the past still are relevant, but they may seem very small in relation to COVID-19, but businesses closing, protests, riots, but you can only deal with the things that you can deal with. And then a lot of that is like, is quite frankly, tabletop items. Yeah, I, I think the guest experience is probably more important than ever. And I love outdoor dining, but let's face it, it's weather dependent. If you have bad weather, you're screwed. And and, and in some parts of the country, it's going to be uh, heat dependent too. I mean, if it's 120 degrees in Vegas, do you really want to eat outside. I don't know, unless you can have fans and air coolers. And I'm sure you can do that. But if you're not already set up to do those kinds of things, that guest experience isn't going to be very good. However, even on a temporary basis, what you were talking about, Greg, I think that the tabletop items, just take a, the, the concept we talked about, we had one session on cloches. And whether you take a, f- a formal fancy cloche or it's just a simple plate cover, if I'm if I'm bringing food to somebody to a table outside, you're right. There are lots of issues, whether it be insects or, or just making sure that the food gets there safely and it doesn't get all um, uh, pushed around. Um, I, I think that there are lots of little things that we all can do. When I say we, I'm talking about operators, supply chain people, and manufacturers all can do to make sure that that guest experience in restaurants whether you're inside, outside, or whatever, as good as it's ever been, or perhaps even better. Because I I think there's also an opportunity right now with an addition of a, just take dinnerware, the way you serve and plate things up, just to go to one single item, take a general item, a platter, a flat platter, and just serve things on in a unique way. Because menus, I'm guessing, are going to be simpler, 
you're not going to be sharing at least initially quite so much. So, but maybe you can display or present the food in a certain way with one single item to, to keep again that the idea of a simpler menu, but it's also simpler back of the house, the plating on one one plate. That's it. That kind of thing. I, I agree, but and then the thing beyond that, then how does that plate interact with the menu? For example, in summer when it's it's a it's a hundred degrees in Chicago, you're outside. Maybe you have if it's a chilled platter. There's materials that can keep that platter cool for long periods of time, or maybe it's an, it works as an insert into another container that has ice. And the, you know these are attractive. They're easy. They show the guests that there's been thought behind it. It's actually a conversation, in many times, cases, a conversation piece. So these things, John, just trying to put perspective to it, when a restaurateur is, is, trying to, is fighting for his life, you, this may seem trivial, but they do, make it, they, do, they do make a big difference. And I just urge people to think through all these little steps. You know, I, th- I think there's one thing that <clears throat> can help restaurateurs, whether you be a single unit operator or you be a large chain, one of the things that I think can really help both short-term and long-term success is if you have come to market, and, and this is true for manufacturers and supply chain people, if you have come to market with a purpose, with a culture of service, with a, and, and you're, you're known for that culture, and you can come back with methods and tactics, let's call that, short-term tactics that reinforce those things. And, I, and I'll, I'll tell you, uh, the one that I always fall back to is Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A has a mission, a purpose, a, a value, a, a, a system of values, core values, if you will, which allows them to serve their guests in a way that I doubt they've missed many customers are all during the COVID-19 thing. And I think they'll probably even thrive more down as they go on down the road. But other chains as well and other independent operators, if you're known for a particular, of taking great care of your guests, I think those same guests will come back and expect that same level of care and, and when it re- with regards to safety, because safety is going to be number one. If you don't feel safe, you're not going to go to a restaurant. But if you have a culture of taking care of your guests, and servicing your guests above and beyond whatever, you know, rather than just try to sell them food and beverage, then you're probably going to do okay. And and guess what? That culture probably is going to play well with your employees too. So I think employees, if, if you come from a service uh, purpose, a service mentality or a culture, if you've embedded that in your organization, then I think you're going to do a better job of uh, protecting your employees and your guests too. And again, safety in the near term is going to be, uh, uh, I think, priority number one. I'd love to see Chick-fil-A's numbers. I guarantee their business is up probably pretty dramatically. Yeah, and I, and I think the, when you get to the supply chain people, and I want to talk about that because we're talking a lot about operators today, but you know about surviving and what they need to do. But I, I think when you get into supply chain, whether it's dealer, distributor people, or manufacturers of products, I think that issue of culture and purpose. I've said it before on Seat Yourself and other places that you know these days, and particularly in tabletop, everybody has great products. But I think what's a differentiator is how you go to market. What's your company's purpose? What are your core values? And and yes, I know a lot of companies that will say these are our core values. But do your employees really know it? And more importantly, do your do your customers or your guests really feel those core values? 
when they deal do business with you. And I think if it, that's those are the differentiators, both always have been, but now maybe more than ever. Not to keep keep harping on Chip Fil A, but they're they're an interesting example. Was it? I don't know, David, if it was you that told us one time about the amount of volume that one Chick Fil A store does a couple of people. I think it's something like two or four times as much as the normal McDonald's, and they're only open six days a week. That's what I was going to say. And they're not open on Sundays, but they do it right. The staff's sharp. They're, they're clean cut. They, you know, they just, you go into the bathroom, it's spotless. It's all the basic stuff we've talked about. I mean, how many places we go into, the restaurant could be clean on the outside. You walk into the restroom facilities, and it's not exactly what you'd expect. They do it right, and they're always pleasant. They say please and thank you. Any more we can do? Yeah, it's I mean, amazing what a little uh, politeness little can do. Again, so it gets back to not demeaning them. We call them the little things. All these little details that that may seem trivial in the whole scope, but they you just they all they all add up. And it's, and the, and the same issue with the with the with the tabletop items. I agree. Greg, you got one more of those those small ideas that have big impact. You have one more of those that we talked about pre-COVID-19 that you can give a, that we can finish up with that will give our both our operators and our supply chain people one more to think about. Well, just looking back at all the things that we talked about pre-COVID-19, you know, one of them was the uh, uh, insulated and pressurized growlers. So what better way to get beverages out to the tables, hot weather, it's insulated. There's, there's very little uh, risk of passing around inf- infection. I think they're ideal for outdoor dining. I love it. I love that idea. We we did a whole segment on Seat Yourself on Cocktails to Go when we're preparing Cocktails to Go 2.0 for next Monday. By the way, if people like the first one, they should tune into Monday's uh, podcast uh, next Monday's. It will be Cocktails to Go 2.0. But I think that bulk containers and that that's a that's a small thing that definitely changes the guest experience great job great job okay gentlemen any last minute thoughts or anything we didn't get into one area that i want to talk about and and i said i was we were going to do it this time but uh we've run a little bit long i want to talk about menus going forward and what those might look like uh, in restaurants. And I, and I think that because I think they are going to change I, and I'd love to get your thoughts on it. So maybe we can do that next time. And Greg, maybe you can come with a couple more of those small ideas that have big impact. Sure. Glad to do it. Guys, thanks for joining us. Great having you both together again today. And thanks everybody for joining us here at Every Other Thursday. We'll see you right back here in two weeks time. See ya. Thank you. This episode of Every Other Thursday has been brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than eight years, Tabletop Journal has been raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. Using the hashtag TabletopMatters, Tabletop Journal has connected the kindred spirits of the hospitality world all around the globe. TabletopJournal.com, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places all in the world of hospitality tabletop. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of Every Other Thursday. You can learn more about Every Other Thursday by visiting our website, everyotherthursdaypodcast.com.